Welcome to Series 4 of the Agora. I'm Nick Markoutsis. And I'm Phoebe Fronista. If you're joining us for the first time, this is the podcast where we take a deeper and broader look at what's going on in Greece. And given that we're now well on the road to elections, we're going to start the new series by taking stock of the political situation in Greece. That's right. Elections are due to take place by next summer at the latest, and there is a strong possibility that Greeks may need two, or incredibly, even three rounds of voting before a government is formed. Stick with us to find out why. Over the last few weeks, the leaders of the three main parties all appeared at the Thessaloniki International Fair, Greece's biggest trade exhibition. Traditionally, this marks the start of a new political season. But this year, with elections looming ahead, their appearances carried even greater significance than usual. The three politicians set out their policy agendas in Thessaloniki, but also tried to define the political contours of the upcoming campaign. Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis, leader of centre-right New Democracy. Alexis Tsipras, the head of left-wing Syriza, the main opposition party. And Nikos Andrulakis, the president of centre-left PASOK, which is polling third. So Nick, how would you sum up what they had to say? Well, where do you start? Um, Well, normally the political element of the Thessaloniki fair is quite dull, mainly because the Greek media has been trailing for weeks ahead what each leader might say. And that means there are few surprises or newsworthy issues once they arrive in Greece's second city. Uh, This isn't helped by, shall we say, the interminable press briefings that are held the day after the leaders give their speeches. I mean, these things last for, what, three hours, really? Yeah. Who's watching this stuff at home, at least? I mean, the poor journalists are stuck there. I don't know if they lock them in. Uh, But if you ever (laughs) ever wanted, uh, you know, the definition of... Uh, press conference versus a news conference, that's it. You know, there really isn't that much news coming out of them and they're just really a a sort of staged media event. But saying all that, for all the reasons that we mentioned at the top of the show, this year's appearances at uh, the Thessaloniki Fair did carry some greater resonance. There were a lot of policy pledges from the three leaders, particularly with regards to the cost of living crisis, which is 
uppermost in people's minds and so important at the moment. And we'll look at some of those in more detail shortly when we have our guests and colleagues from Macropolis, Yanis Mouzakis and Yorgi Anaku with us. Uh, but personally, what I found interesting about what went on in Thessaloniki was how each of the three leaders we mentioned tried to frame the upcoming elections differently. So what are the themes that, that you picked out? Well, the Prime Minister, Kyriakos Mitsotakis, he feels he has a credibility advantage over his main rival, Alexis Tsipras. And, well, let's face it, he's probably right about that. At least that's what opinion polls suggest. In most policy areas, Greeks believe Mitsotakis is more adept at handling key issues than his predecessor as Prime Minister. Now, Mitsotakis feels that Greeks are still unwilling to trust Tsipras and Syriza because of what happened in 2015, when the left-wing party came to power for the first time, entered into fraught negotiations with the Eurozone over the third bailout, and held a last-minute referendum before abandoning the no vote, the Ohi vote, and agreeing terms with the creditors just in time to avoid an exit from the single currency. Good times. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a bit of a mad period. So, you know, the current PM thinks that when the section of the electorate which can decide the result goes into the voting booths next year, these unpleasant, nasty memories will come flooding back and they'll play it safe by giving new democracy uh, a second term. And maybe it's a sound uh, bet. That's essentially the message Mr. Mitsotakis is delivering to Greek voters. Don't play with fire. Stick with me and let me see out the reform process I've begun. Mm -hmm. For Tsipras, though, he's also targeting what he believes is his rival's Achilles heel, which is the impression that's been generated that since Mitsotakis and his centre-right party came to power in 2019, power and authority has become very centralised while all sense of accountability has been lost. So Syriza is arguing that the government is focused on looking after very narrow interests and, with the help of some of the mainstream media, is portraying an image of itself as super efficient and highly beneficial for the country, which simply doesn't exist as far as the opposition is concerned. Mm -hmm. uh, when we come to the case of the Social Democrats, PASOK, their leader, Nikos Andrulakis, well, he's in a tough balancing act because he wants his party to carve out its own identity. And he only took over in December, you remember. Uh, he doesn't want mm -hmm. to, PASOK to be seen as an appendage to New Democracy or Syriza, in, in effect being crushed between the two uh, bigger parties at the moment. And you'll remember, Phoebe, we discussed this in an episode we did in the last series of the Agora, which was about... Pasok's revival after a long time in the political wilderness. Yeah. Now, Andulakis' mission has become even more complicated because he's at the centre of this surveillance scandal that has gripped Greek politics since the summer. Predator gate. Shall I summarise it for our listeners? Uh, yeah, please do. Be my guest. So... Andrulakis discovered that there had been an attempt to install this predator spyware on his mobile phone, as others had, including an investigative journalist, Thanasis Koukakis. So now, Andrulakis filed a complaint with the Supreme Court prosecutor in Athens, and during the early stages of the investigation, 
Greece's privacy watchdog found out that the National Intelligence Service, the country's spy agency, had been snooping on his calls. That's exactly right, Phoebe. Now, this led to the resignation of the spy chief and the prime minister's general secretary, who also happened to be Mitsotakis' cousin, as the service, the intelligence service, had been brought under the prime minister's office control, a decision made by Mitsotakis when he came to power three years ago. Andrulakis is holding the prime minister personally accountable for what happened, even though Mitsotakis denies having any prior knowledge of the agency's operation. It's a good scandal. <laughs> if it's a good scandal for us journalists, or at least the journalists that are actually bothering to investigate it, and there's been some really good work done there, and maybe some sections of the media perhaps not so interested in it. Um, yeah, so so for us, of course, it is, but perhaps uh, not, not such a great advertisement for uh, Greek politics. Yes, perhaps, perhaps not. <laughs> <laughs> now... A parliamentary inquiry is underway, but New Democracy holds a majority on the panel and isn't willing to agree to the scope of questioning that the opposition parties want. So it's all become a bit messy. And the main political message that Andrew Lack has tried to get across in Thessaloniki is that he wants to introduce a new way of doing things where institutions and the democratic process are valued. And perhaps this wouldn't have been his message if this scandal hadn't, or his main message, at least, if this uh, scandal hadn't come, come along over the last few months. He's suggesting that under the current government, Greece's institutions, whether it's the parliament, the judiciary, the intelligence service, all the media have become compromised because of their closeness to the ruling Conservative Party. Mm-hmm. So, Three very distinct messages coming in from the leaders whose parties will be vying for power in next year's elections. And that's elections with an S, because it looks like we're getting more than one vote. Yes. Now, well, here. So what we have ahead of us, Phoebe, is <sighs> an election. Yes. And, and, and for those of you not familiar with uh, the Greek electoral system, bear with us. We'll try and... Uh, walk you through it. Uh, it's confusing for us at times. So the next election will be based on a form of proportional representation where the winning party will need, or probably need, around 44% of the vote to win a parliamentary majority. Based on the current polls, and this obviously comes with a proviso that things can change and often do change in politics generally, but especially in, in Greek politics, and we'll discuss the current polls in more detail with Yanis and Yuriya shortly. But based on what the surveys are saying at the moment, it looks highly unlikely that anyone will achieve that kind of result, 44%, including New Democracy, which is currently well ahead in the opinion, opinion polls. There is a small chance that a coalition of opposition parties could muster enough seats to form a government but this would require a form of cooperation that's not customary in Greek politics because we're probably talking about at least three parties coming together and possibly four, at least two parties aligning and another two supporting them without joining the government. We haven't really had this kind of thing uh, in Greek politics. We're not a consensus-based system. We have had coalitions more recently when the political system fractured as a result of the uh, debt crisis Greece went through. 
but this kind of uh, alliance seems unlikely. Yeah. Again, we'll take a closer look at this later in the show. So when you take all that into consideration, Phoebe, the most likely outcome is that we'll have a second ballot. Now, again, bear in mind that the second vote will be under a different electoral system under this enhanced proportional representation enhanced you know <laughs> meaning that <laughs> like enhanced uh, supervision <laughs> <laughs> yeah enhanced in one sense but enhanced in another in that it will be better I, I don't know but what it means is that the winning party will be awarded up to 50 bonus seats depending on its share of the national vote under this system the first party will probably need around 38% to govern on its own. Still so, hard, still hard. Still still hard, because as things stand, if we get a second ballot, the question is, will new democracy reach this magic mark? And if not, could it find a coalition partner? Because, and I dread saying this, if neither of these things happen, we may need a third vote to sort things out. The horror. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It just brings back it just brings back all these memories of the back-to-back -back votes and caretaker governments we had in 2012 in the middle of the financial crisis and with the whole world watching and you know I I really don't want to go through that again. I mean, we were just there a few years ago. Yeah, I don't think anyone in their right mind would want to relive with that. And, um, well, hopefully it won't come to that. But uh, should we see what Yanis and Yuriya think? Yes, please. Uh, let's hear from Macropolis co-founder Yanis Muzakis and features editor Yuriya Naku, because maybe they can stop these nightmares. So, Yanis and Georgia, uh, thanks for joining us for what's the first uh, podcast in the fourth series of the Agora, I'm glad to say. And given that we've got elections coming up during this uh, cycle of the podcast, I guess we want to have a look at uh, the political balance, the political landscape where things lie as we head into what will be a long and um, no doubt arduous and uh, tempestuous campaign. And uh, as we mentioned at the top of the show with uh, Phoebe, we're looking, we're using as a starting point the recent appearances of Greece's political leaders at the Thessaloniki International Fair. They went up there, they all set out their ideas for the economy. Obviously, given the current circumstances, they're mostly focused on addressing the energy and inflation crisis. But I was wondering if there was anything, any policy that they presented there that really caught your attention. Yuria, would you like to kick things off? Yes, thank you. Um, uh, the thing that caught my eye was uh, housing policies mm -hmm. from everybody. Um, this has not really been uh, 
acknowledged as an area that needed fixing in quite a while. Um, but in the last um, probably about a year or so, all three of the major parties have um, come up with various ideas and acknowledged that, uh, you know, Greeks, young Greeks getting on the housing ladder, renters and so on are finding it unaffordable. Um, so uh, I'm not sure whether the way it's come up is a good thing or a bad thing because I don't think anyone's come up with sort of a fully-fledged uh, comprehensive approach to, you know, what is a very complex policy area. But um, it's interesting that they've all kind of jumped on this bandwagon this year. Yeah, and you're right. It's something that's really come into play in the Greek political scene probably over the last uh, few months. And I guess it's partly driven by the fact that we're seeing in Greece's major th- cities, Athens, Thessaloniki particular, uh, whatever available housing there is mostly going on short-term rental platforms we all know the 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 ones and that's pushing up the rental uh, prices of whatever other properties uh, whatever other properties are uh, available and that that's a problem for young greeks trying to find uh, homes to live in and it's coming on the back of um uh, an already bad situation which is the legacy of the debt crisis because incomes fell, rents didn't fall, rents and housing prices didn't fall as far and um, have recovered quicker. So um, already Greeks were sort of spending a large chunk of their income on housing costs. And on top of this, then you have property prices picking up. So it is a legitimate problem. um, And it's good to see it being at least considered a problem. Right. Yanis, what stood out for you? Hopefully you weren't going to say, uh, you know, housing benefits and uh, housing schemes. No. Uh, well, first of all, good to be back again in the in the new series. Uh, what, what I would like to add to uh, what Georgia said is that um, the, 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 the property index that the Bank of Greece is, uh, is releasing, uh, it's uh, it showed that now we are uh, roughly about ten to fifteen percent, if I'm not mistaken, from the 2008 peak property prices. Which I mean, if if you consider the circumstances that this happened in 2008, you know, with a you know the property bonanza, the euro introduction, the very low interest rates that Greece saw for the first time since they adopting the euro, and how the, the you know, precipitous fall of the property market from around 2009 up to 2015 or 16. The fact that it recovered so quickly, uh, it, it just goes to show the you know the, the dynamic of the market and also how quickly it could potentially leave people like you and couples behind, because there's no way that wages will keep up at the, the same pace. But what what caught my attention is not so much you know, a specific policy pledge from the government. Uh, it's the actual scale of the um, of the estimation of the energy subsidy that will be over 13 billion euros for 2022. And if you consider that this is coming on top of around 40 billion euros of support in 2020 and 2021 for the pandemic. Where, where now, where and, and, and you know specifically since the, the theme of the discussion is, a, is politics and election, the government has spent in three years in office 
more than a quarter of a billion of the Greek economy on some sort of support and subsidies, whether related to the pandemic or to the energy crisis. And for me, what's, what's quite interesting in, um, in, in the choice to focus on the energy market uh, is, is an, I think the government's made an assessment that this from probably September, October last year, it realized quickly that this would be a pain area. Uh, specifically the electricity bills and all the focus and attention went there because if you look in the the, the more details of the presentation out of the 13 billion the 10 billion was only for electricity and gas and the gas will happen now in the last few quarters of the year so the bulk of the package is on electricity because the government realized that this is if you remember around uh, uh, February and March when the first electricity bills came up with the adjustment factor, which was eventually abolished, and people were freaking out every time they would open their bills, the government quickly realized that this would be a, an area that would cause it problems. And it has put all its attention into subsidizing the, the electricity bills. And, and I guess the interesting thing there also in a political sense is that this is a government, a center-right government that came to power with a leader expressingly saying that he doesn't believe in handouts, he doesn't believe in uh, subsidies. Now, of course, you have to caveat that by saying he wasn't expecting a pandemic and uh, a war in Europe and uh, a massive energy crisis. Nevertheless, it shows that, you know, in some circumstances, you you can't be so rigid in in your uh, policy. Yeah, and this opens a very interesting broader discussion that, uh, yes, you know, you can be as liberal as you like when the economy is going well, but when the situation gets really tough, then everybody's expecting some government intervention to step yeah. in in order to solve the, the, the problems, right? So definitely the, the, the policy that Mitsotakis had to follow from 2019 until now has probably very little to do with what he planned and what he probably liked to do. And just to illustrate how fast things have moved on that front... Um, I was just looking back at last year's post Thessaloniki feature that we did on energy. You've been doing prep for the show, Yuri. I'm very impressed. Well, (laughs) it wasn't. Don't flatter yourself. (laughs) I was just. um, No, I was just um, looking up a feature that we did last year around this time. on the the first energy package, because obviously the energy situation started, right. um, you know, going heading south Darkly. before the yeah. war in Ukraine. Yeah. Um, they there was an estimate that came out of last year's Thessaloniki that the government could put something like a hundred thousand euros, hundred million euros, sorry, into um, <laughs> plugging the the energy gap. And we said at the time, oh, it's going to be at least five times that. And look where we are now. (laughs) Did you say this? 13 billion, Yanis? 13.2 billion, yeah. Yeah. Over 10 billion for electricity and gas. Yeah, so there goes the forecasting out. Yeah, but I mean, as you said, we have to factor that there was an invasion in February. I think that was a completely different game after that entirely. Yeah, yeah. But that, that brings us to another point year year, which is that, uh, you know, th- there have been all these external factors that we mentioned, the pandemic, energy crisis, the war in Ukraine. So it's actually quite difficult outside of this uh, subsidy, handout, relief 
policy that the government has been forced into for practical as well as political reasons. It's very difficult to assess the extent to which the government's approach to the economy has been effective. But, you know, elections are coming up in less than 12 months. Uh, It's important to establish whether, you know, you feel there's a clear sense of where new democracy wants to take things if it's re-elected in terms of the economy and in what way Syriza or Pasok might be offering an alternative vision. What's your take on that? Um, yes, well, obviously, the, the sort of energy situation is going to bleed over into anything else that that gets done by or gets promised by any party. Um, I mean, I I might be being a bit unfair to everyone concerned, and Yanis can pick me up um, if I'm sort of being overly unfair. But I think just listening to all the speeches in Thessaloniki and the pronouncements that have been made around them, the sense that I get is that all the parties' programmes are really kind of focused at redressing wrongs committed during the bailout, particularly to major voting blocs, so pensioners and middle earners and more latterly uh, young professionals. So um, this is sort of trying to restore a previous equilibrium rather than sort of offering a radically new transformative vision. Um, You know, no matter what they say in the preamble, really, kind of you look at the pledges and they break down in in a fairly standard way. And where they differ, really, is how they intend to um, fund them. So Nea Democratia obviously sort of, you know, is still, despite all the the sort of intervening um, crises that have come uh, come up since they came to power three years ago, um, is still looking at sort of channeling the proceeds of growth, you know, general taxation into cutting taxes and contributions, um, added with sort of a greater role for the private sector. Uh, you know, contrast with um, Syriza, which talks about, you know, um, taxing corporations more, cutting consumption taxes, um, sort of a re- redistributive program, um, combined with, you know, in the more recent statements, you know, a real kind of push for uh, nationalizations. They talk about uh, renationalizing um, PPC, the big power utility. Uh, they talk about keeping a stake in one of the systemic banks and sort of, um, you know, really pushing in that direction. Uh, Basok um, really is sort of a combination of redistribution and more perhaps imaginative use of COVID recovery funds. Um, I mean, really with Basok, the, their best policies seem to be inspired by some of their peers in the EU and um, and and some of their best policies have been co-opted by Nea Democratia into their policy package. Mm-hmm. So, you know, their 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 recent move to um, move from universal subsidies on electricity bills to banded subsidies and energy saving, um, and some of the housing policies have also sort of originated with uh, with PASOK policies. So, I mean, that's that's how I'd sort of describe, really, the differences between them. 
Okay, that's uh, that's. I think that's probably sort of fair fair distinction, and you do get the sense that this uh, there's not a lot of big vision in there uh, at the moment. Of course, new democracy probably more than most is talking about uh, investments, a, a, a new economic model, but you don't get the sense that that that, that any there's a, it's been fleshed out at all. Yeah, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we're still waiting to see, you know, how well the tourist season went, so... Yeah, yeah. No, and just to add to this, I mean, Greek political parties are not really known for devising really long-term plans. And the situation now, the way, uh, you know, the, the global uncertainty, uh, from uh, any way you look at it, from the macro perspective, monetary, fiscal, currency, it's so complicated that probably it's not... It's not really easy, even if they wanted to, to present something more, uh, you know, longer term. That, that's that's fair enough. Yeah, uh, and speaking of the f- fiscal, um, the, the pledges made by the Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis in Thessaloniki, which covered the short term, immediate uh, relief for the energy situation and some longer term ta- tax cuts, and uh, as Yuri mentioned, that as housing uh, subsidies. The, the total cost of that was put at five and a half billion euros. Uh, explain to us a little bit how that fits into the fiscal picture for this year. I mean, one of the, the questions people may be asking is, where is that money coming from, for instance? And, yes. and all government officials involved, made sure, including the prime minister, made sure that there was no misconception that, you know, this is fiscal laxity. You know, we, mm-hmm. we have the money to spend because they didn't want to find themselves probably in a UK situation. So uh, that's worked out, at least from the reaction of the markets. Yeah, I mean, look, this this year the the, the picture is clear and it's very good. Uh, even if you set aside, you know, circumstantial factors or factors related to the you know, collection and the time and collection of the property tax and so on, uh, there's about uh, three billion of uh, over revenue performance in uh, VAT which is coming from the inflation wave as prices moved up and also the good tourism season. And there's also around 1.7 billion from income tax for corporations and uh, uh, individuals, which is purely an outcome of the improving economy, which now seen growing even maybe closer to 6%, when previously we thought it was going to be around uh, 3 So the, the, uh, this year the situation is, uh, uh, I think it's in, the, in the short term, is looking quite um, positive. The, the issue will be, the challenge will be next year for two reasons. One is that growth will be much slower because a lot of the growth that we probably expected next year, it came this year. So now next year could be around 2%. And the other aspect is uh, that uh, on the commitments that Greece has made to its lenders, it has to deliver roughly 1% of GDP primary surplus next year. So if the economy exceeds the 200 billion this year and it's going to grow towards over 205 next year, we're looking about over 2 billion of surplus next year from around 4 billion deficit this year in primary deficit. So it's around 6 billion of uh, of effort. As we said, a lot of it will come organically from the improved picture this year and the growth, but a lot of it 
now was reflected why the, the, the government took a cautious approach because as much as the package you know presented all together like you know as we said the housing policy is 1.6 billion but also has an aspect of leverage into it from the you know the, the bank loans uh, the the actual package is a little bit modest compared to what the government was uh, make known around the summer so really if you think about it the only measures that they 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 managed to put to put through is temporary measures like the interventions in the social security contributions that were reduced by three percentage points during the pandemic they became permanent and new measures are really uh, abolishing the solidarity levy for the, the the public sector workers and all the other initiatives of further reducing uh, social insurance contribution potentially by another one percent uh, dropping corporate tax, if you remember. That was also one of the things that was being considered because they want to make Greece more attractive. These really costly measures were set aside because they decided to take a more cautious approach for next year. As, as you mentioned earlier, perhaps uh, learning the lesson that uh, the, the UK government is uh, currently <laughs> contemplating um be, being uh, a little cautious on the fiscal side to ensure that uh, you don't uh, upset anyone uh, of course we, we, we've uh, we've learned that the, the hard way but uh, anyway if we move on to the political side of the balance sheet um as we discussed with freebie in the introduction to the show uh, kiriakos mitsotakis is putting a lot of hope for re-election in Greek voters not being prepared to trust Alexis Tsipras to run the country again, after, particularly after 2015. Is the ghost of that year, 2015, enough to scare the electorate? Or do you think that the new democracy leader will have to find more convincing arguments on the camp- campaign trail ahead of us in the next few months? Yeah, would you ha- uh, like to uh, have a go first? I think the brief answer is uh, yes, it is. The, recent, the memory is too recent. And uh, the Nea Demokratia message has been very successfully imprinted in uh, the public consciousness that it is very much Mitsotakis or chaos. Mm. Um, so I think, um, you know, providing they don't drop the ball, one of the many balls that they're juggling, um, I think, um, you know, the Syriza has a very, very big obstacle to overcome in the ghost of 2015. Yanis, is your sense as well that the fear factor that's attached to Syriza because of what happened in the past uh, will be certainly too much for Syriza to overcome, but perhaps enough to bring Mitsotakis back to office again next year? Look, I'm not sure that the, there is this element of... This element, actually, of fear factor of, uh, of Tsipras and Syriza is stronger in the minds of new democracies than it's actually in the, in the minds of the public, mm-hmm. okay? I think the main problem of, uh, of Syriza is that it does not have a narrative. And, there, and that particular party never really had a narrative. It came to power, I think, in 2015 by attrition because 
all the other parties during the crisis had been tried. And it was offering solutions that people had suffered so much that they thought, what do we have to lose? Yeah. Then we had the first half of 2015, which, I mean, thankfully things did not break to the extent that they could have. And now that you look back and, you know, it's obviously comical the way that they were operating until they signed the third program. And then as they executed the program and now in opposition, have you, I mean, have you really heard of anything tangible coming out of this party that you think that, yeah, I'm not, maybe I'm not satisfied with what I'm seeing from this government, but these guys are my alternative. I don't think they are. And the fact that they, they never really, probably also because the, right after they lost the elections, the pandemic started and, you know, the, or the whole country was not operating properly. But I, I don't think they really made a proper assessment as what went wrong in their tenure. And for me, Tsipras, that was back in 2012, 15, the biggest asset that they had, for me now, is is a weight. Mm. You see... Liability in the liability column. Even if you have... Uh, you know, second thoughts about the the, the, poll, the opinion poll findings. It's it's obvious in every single company, every single poll throughout the period after 2019 that Tsipras is a drag mm-hmm. on the party. And as long as he will be the leader, uh, it's going to have to be something spectacular that will happen over the next year. And it's not very clear what the alternative would be within the party at the moment. Sure, sure, sure. I, I think one of the things that I, I, I sense over the last six to 12 months, given that COVID has receded and for a lot of the time there was um, Syriza's main line of attack was that the government was handling the pandemic uh, badly, firstly in a public health sense and then with all the other things, the, the consequences that came with it. I think over the last six or 12 months, they seem to have pivoted to this idea that the government, uh, particularly uh, Mitsotakis as prime minister, is showing a lack of respect for institutions, whether they are the judiciary, the media, parliament, uh, the national intelligence service, which we'll come to, uh, and lack of respect in the sense that um, they're treating them as as the government's treating them as their their property rather than the the country's institutions. And in some way, these institutions have become too closely aligned with the fortunes of the government. And I got the sense that in Thessaloniki, one of the the, the issues that um, Tsipras was trying to bring to the fore was that, um, you know, we're going to address this. We're going to try and re-establish, rebuild these institutions, give them the the independence they they deserve. But given that this is now a line of attack, I suppose Caesar and Pasok would have hoped that the surveillance scandal, which we went into briefly with uh, Phoebe in the introduction to this episode, and it came to a boil over the summer, that they were hoping that it might have had a major impact on New Democracy's lead and perhaps that the public would have shown a great interest in it as a kind of 
institutions and the, the democratic process being compromised. But in fact, the opinion polls we've seen published over the last few days that suggest that it's made nothing than a mere dent in new democracy's fortunes. And, and actually, the public doesn't seem that interested in it. Yuri, what do you put this down to? Is it simply that Greeks are too concerned about the cost of living crisis like people around the world and in, in Europe to, to worry about anything else? Or is, or is there something else going on there? Um, well, you know, it's an interesting one. Um, hmm. Obviously, in the in the journalistic community and in the political community, the surveillance affair is considered a very big deal. But um, it comes sort of a distant third when you look at uh, polls of what the public is concerned about. Um, and I think there's several elements to this. I mean, first of all, I think, you know, with regards to um, institutions, there's a long political tradition in Greece of trashing the institutions for yeah. political uh, reasons. And it's often quite selective. And I think even though the current government and Mitsotakis in particular has tried to carve out a name for sort of restoring faith in institutions. They will also selectively trash institutions. So, um, you know, the, the party apparatus will cheer when um, a prosecutor is taken to court. Um, mm. Uh, the government very publicly ignores the recommendations of the energy regulator in the middle of an energy crisis. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, what they say and what they do are often two quite different things. And I think the public as a whole, you know, takes that for granted. Um, and so uh, when you talk about respecting the privacy of communications, I don't think there's a shared view that that or a shared understanding that that is in fact a constitutional right that has to be defended. Um, and so you start from a very kind of sort of low level of understanding and, and sort of not, not very broadly shared values on that front. Uh, so coming to the specifics of the case, I think, you know, the fact that it came to the, the sort of the political angle to it, which was the surveillance, the the revelation that uh, the head of PASOK, Nikos Androulakis, was under surveillance by the State Intelligence Service and potentially another party. Um, that happened in August, yeah. uh, which is peak holiday season. Uh, Parliament was just about to go into recess. If it had happened a week later, I suspect it would have gained even less prominence because the whole political system would have been on holiday. Um, you know, the government has persistently tried to downgrade the importance of the issues that this raises. Um, the government-friendly media has also made this to be very much a sort of inside-the-beltway issue that doesn't concern the ordinary person. And, of course, you know, the cost of living is a, a very, very real issue. And you can't blame people for being, you know, having that at the top of their mind and perhaps thinking that this other stuff is, is a bit of a luxury, particularly when they're nudged to think that yeah. way. 
Um, so you know, I, you know, it's it, it's interesting, and I, I just um, you know, my feeling is that unless there is something that blows the whole thing open again, um, mm-hmm. it, it, a smoking, smoking gun, gun, yeah, which hasn't, yeah, you know, there is a smoking gun there, but obviously it's not been big enough or smoking enough. So um, you know, unless you can pin something on Mitotakis personally, conclusively, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just going to, you know, eventually die away. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, they kick it yeah. into the tall grass also because it is quite a technical issue. It can be made to sound very technical, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. you know, people mm-hmm. kind of, you know, don't have the attention span for, particularly in the middle of the holidays. Yeah, I, I I agree with every, everything you said there. What I, I would also add is that I think that the that the government has been very its crisis management strategy after initially being quite uh, shoddy. For instance, the, the, when when the prime minister's general secretary resigned for the first day or two, we were told he was re- resigning for personal reasons and uh, nothing in connection with to do with the uh, phone tapping affair, which, which was just a simply b- bizarre thing to to put out. But after that, I think probably the, the crisis management strategy has been quite effective in the sense that um, they've acted quickly to, to distance the prime minister from it, to uh, uh, distance the two key figures involved, to agree to a parliamentary inquiry and to propose really quickly some basic reforms of the National Intelligence Service. And then, of course, once the parliamentary inquiry uh, uh, has started, they've been very quick to clamp down on it and shut down any kind of broad investigation since New Democracy has a majority on there. They're rejecting you know, all, all kinds of calls from the opposition for various witnesses and some that you would think very obviously involved in, in, in the process and who should be questioned. And they're simply rejecting uh, the request for them. So in essence, the parliamentary inquiry is, and we kind of knew this from the start, but anyway, it's not, it's just going around in circles. It's not really going to go anywhere. So the the story kind of ceases to become uh, uh, of national interest. And then when uh, Sousa and Pasok in particular, because they're immediately involved in this, directly involved in it uh, through Andrulakis, keep bringing it up, the accusation is that, oh, you're just stuck on one issue. There are more important things going on. And that's been a very effective strategy. So you, you keep bringing this up because you've got no policies to present. Right. Um, I mean, yeah. what I would add, though, I mean, the other dimension of this is that this kind of stonewalling strategy has come at a price. And the price of that is that um, whereas prior to this coming to light, um, the unspoken assumption was that uh, PASOK was sort of a fallback option for Nea Democratia, that they would be able to do some kind of deal with them if they fail to get a majority in the next elections. And I think the result of this is that it's created a very hostile atmosphere and it's really, really hard to see in the current climate and the like is doing any kind of deal with Nea Democratia. And indeed it's, you know, pushed, you know, it's hard to see whether it's pushed Syriza and Pasok closer together, but it's definitely created an anti-Nea Democratia front on the centre and left of the spectrum. 
Yeah, and in the absence, as you say, of any more concrete or serious revelations, that's the political essence of this, is that it's burnt the bridges between new democracy and PASOK. And of course, that always comes with the proviso that it's politics, and even then mm-hmm. it's Greek politics. You know, six months down the line, you never know, this could have all, 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 all changed. But for the time being, you're absolutely right that it seems to have taken the option off the table of a potential new democracy PASOK coalition in the, in the future after next year's elections, if new democracy needs a partner to govern. Uh, and certainly at the, at the moment, the opinion polls are suggesting that there's a chance anyway that it may do. And speaking of the opinion polls, Yanis, it's kind of strange because you look at them and you say, that you know that, that there are positives and negatives for everyone involved and what i mean by that is that if you look at it um new democracy support has dropped significantly over the last two years but on the other hand it still maintains a strong lead over its rivals uh series of support on the other hand has barely moved during that time but it's seen the get the gap between itself and new democracy actually close quite a bit pasok well, it enjoyed a bounce after Nikos Androulakis was elected leader towards the end of last year. But on the other hand, it more recently seems to have hit a ceiling. Uh, from your point of view, who do you think is, is most content with where the opinion polls are as we go in towards this election campaign? Yeah, well, I, I don't think there's very much for uh, for Syriza to be content about in the polls, mm-hmm. uh, especially if they... If they genuinely believe that this is one of the worst government, as they've been arguing that Greece had, you know, since democracy was restored in '74, the fact that they have barely moved after nearly a full term of this government just shows that they're doing something really wrong. So there's definitely nothing for encouraging for Syriza in what we see in the polls. Uh, for Pasok, as you said, they had a, a serious bounce. Uh, Actually, started from uh, you know after the death of Yenimata, there was some like compassionate vote that they had attracted, and then with Andrew Lagis, they essentially doubled their numbers, and and then you can you can see them going roughly at that range, probably a little bit lower now, around eleven percent uh, after the summer, and uh, a new democracy had you know the, the the rally around the flag effect in. 2020 with the pandemic and the, the spring of 2020 when they they really acted quickly and they, they handled quite well the first wave of the pandemic. But because they have been in a constant crisis management mode, the support for them has been eroding, right? But I think if anyone can look at the numbers now and feel more optimistic, it's definitely the government. Because... You know, as you said, the the situation became really complex with the surveillance scandal because it would be really hard for PASOK to be potentially a coalition partner if if they need one. And I'm talking yeah. about the second election because the first election, the first party needs 44% to gain, to, to gain majority. That's completely out of the question. Um but in the second ones, they need around 38 and a half, 39, depending on how many parties get in. And if you are polling now at 32, 
And in the first elections, you get around 34, 35, which is not unlikely. If you have repeat elections in a quite polarized atmosphere, it's not entirely unlikely that they can get the 38.5 or 39 that they need yeah. in the second uh, vote to actually form a majority government. So I think out of everyone, they are probably looking the most comfortable of the numbers. Okay, that brings me to my last question. And I'm, I'm glad it's the last question because I, I see that both of you have taken the energy conservation guidelines from the government to heart. And all, all I can see is two spooky faces in the dark staring out at me. So I'll be glad to wrap this up because I don't think I'm going to sleep well at night. Um, again, you know, looking at uh, the, the current opinion polls and the, the projected results and when you translate that into seats in in uh, Parliament, uh, as I see it, there are four likely outcomes or most likely outcomes in next year's elections. And we explained at the start of the show with, with Phoebe to our listeners that it's likely that we'll, we'll need two, possibly even three, uh, the prospect which of which horrifies Phoebe and I think probably all of us. Um, so here are the, 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 the four most likely outcomes as I see them, and feel free to correct me. So number one, there's no workable result in the first vote leading to new elections, a second uh, ballot with a different uh, electoral system. Uh, option number two, we get from the first vote uh, a left-wing coalition, as we saw in Portugal a few uh, years ago, what they call the Geringonza, I think, uh, contraption. So this would involve certainly Suze and Pasok, and then either actively or with their tacit support, the radical left party of Yanis Varoufakis, Mera 25, and the Communist Party. I, I find that a difficult one to uh, come to terms with, uh, you know, in terms of it actually happening, but nevertheless, it's an option. Option number three, a new democracy or new democracy-led coalition after the second vote. And number four, and uh, I hope Phoebe is covering her is no workable result in the second vote leading to a third ballot. Do you guys uh, agree um, based on how things stand at the moment, of course, and things can change? What's your best guess about what will happen next year? Yuria, do you want to uh, have a first first go? And we're not going to hold you to it. We're not going to play back this clip <laughs> in our pre-election uh, episode special here on the Agora. Yeah, I mean, it is a tricky one. I think, you know, what came out mm. of... Uh... Uh, what you and Yanis were discussing before is that, you know, three three and a bit years into their term, uh, given all that's happened in the interim, Nedemokratia, you know, not, not doing too badly, you know? Um, yeah. It, you know, in more normal circumstances, they, they, they would have, you know, the lead would have, I think, shrunk quite a bit more and they'd be feeling, you know, the hot breath of the opposition on their... On the back of their necks, but that's definitely not the case. Um, the, the 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 different electoral systems complicate it a bit. Um, on current uh, undercurrent assumptions, uh, I think a conclusive government being formed 
after the first vote is unlikely. Um, as you said, I, I, I find it hard to to see all or, you know, the majority of the centre-left and left spectrum working together just on a first shot. You know, that might be kind of, you know, further down the line, something to look at, but certainly not after the first contest. Yeah. It wouldn't be the first option. Yeah, and it, 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 it's very difficult to envision a situation in which the Greek Communist Party, which is an old-style traditional Communist Party, gets involved in a- any kind of uh, process where it has to even just abstain from a vote in order for a government to be formed or give tacit support. It just doesn't seem like... No, they're, they're the party that likes to say no. I mean, in the past, when there's been something very specific pulling them together, they have formed coalitions even with you know, parties to the right. But that's been yeah. very, very specific circumstances, and I don't think the current situation would be seen as meriting that kind of radical okay. decision. Um, so what happens after the first round? Um, I agree with Yanis. I think, you know, once you've been through the process of the first round, you've kind of scoped out what's going on there Um most voters will gravitate to one of the the two main parties. There'll probably be, you know, a lot of abstention, which will probably favour Neodemokratia. So, um, you know, it is imaginable, it is conceivable that they could pull together enough of a majority. And if not, you know, they're already kind of not making noises, but it's more in what's left mm. unsaid that, you know, they they will find someone to work with on the right, and we know there's a lot going on on the on the sort of yeah. further right of the political spectrum. A lot of you know a lot of contenders for that kind of um, you know hard right vote that seems to be kind of you know a persistent pool so of the, the electorate. Nativist, nativist yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's as far as I'll go in making any predictions. Okay. Yeah. No. That, that, that's 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 fair enough. Uh, Yanis, or at least the shadowy figure in on my screen, who I think is Yanis. What what do you reckon? Yeah. Well, I think that uh, the the circumstances of the time will determine the outcomes in mm-hmm. the sense that if the you know the current uncertainty that we see carries on, uh, we've had a couple of quarters potentially of technical recession in the eurozone central banks have pushed up interest rates in, to fight inflation and this has held back you know bank credit investments and the main message will be we're voting for stability now there's no it's no time to you know to, to try things out i think whether there will be a win, like New Democracy will manage to win in the second ballot, or the potential um, cooperation dynamics that will form after a second ballot, I think the circumstances at the time will determine those outcomes. Hmm. Okay, that's that, that. That's fair enough. I think we will lean. I, I just I cannot see option two though. The yeah. cooperation, <laughs> the, the you know, cooperation of the, of the of the left and the centre left. Yeah, there's just too many moving parts for there. Yeah. There for so, of course, that means that's what's going to happen because we all said it's not going to. But, Make things exciting. <laughs> uh, 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 
and and people will write us off as as analysts and but it is going to be a tough winter anyway. ahead i mean you know this yeah. it, it's it's difficult to underestimate how much worse things can get <laughs> and and that's why we yes. will revisit this subject after the winter and renew our predictions and maybe you know have a, a greater chance That'll of be the sensible thing to do, yeah. being correct then and those are the ones that we'll play and see to, to to our listeners see we told you so anyway guys uh thank you very much for joining me it's uh it, it's going very very dark <laughs> wherever you are uh, so I'll, I'll let you go and switch the lights on and uh thanks a lot and we'll, we'll speak again soon thanks nick good, good to be good. back yeah bye-bye Cheers, bye-bye. That was Yanis Mouzakis and Georgia Naku speaking with Nick. Well... I'm not sure if we came up here with any definitive answers regarding next year's elections, but at least we highlighted the parameters of the political battle that lies ahead and how the economy will fit into the party's campaigns over the coming months. I now feel well-equipped for this long campaign trail ahead, but I still really hope that we don't end up going to the polls three times. I mean... Nick, forget the political instability. Think of the cost. We're in a global cost of living crisis. We need to get this done in two votes max. You know what? I, I think if you launched the political party today and had that as your main slogan, perhaps your only <laughs> slogan, you'd be in with a chance of becoming the next prime minister. On that awesome thought, it's time to say goodbye. Thanks for being with us for the start of season four of the Agora. There's more to come, so please follow us, subscribe, rate, and do all the things that help support this show. We'll be back with a new episode soon. And in the meantime, the campaign to elect Phoebe as Prime Minister begins here. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>